I've not I feel like I've not been up here for a while um, speaking, so it's good to be back. Uh, I'm going to pray very, very quickly, and then uh, we're going to we're going to get on with looking at at one Timothy. Let's just bow our heads. Father, I thank you for all that you've done for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for all that you are to us each and every day. Lord, I thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit to guide us, to lead us, to teach us. Father, I pray that as we look at your word this morning, you would speak to us. Your living word. Father, let us recognize it as so. Help me, Lord, not to... um, share anything that is of my flesh for that is a waste of time but Lord help it to be all of you and your spirit speak to us directly this morning I pray I ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus Amen so as Paul said we're looking at we're starting to look at 1 Timothy and as he also kindly said this morning he's just heard the best sermon he's ever had from 1 Timothy So, I'll try and do something that gets even remotely close to it, Uh, but no pressure. Uh, It's not me anyway, is it? We're reading from God's Word, and I'm going to start right at the very beginning of 1 Timothy, and we're just going to look this morning at the first two verses. So, Jill, I've not got any PowerPoints or anything like that, but if we could just have the two verses up on the screen, that would be brilliant. I'm going to read them. If you've got your Bible... Get it out and have a look at it so you can see it in front of you. Feel free to make notes if you wish or on your Bible apps or whatever. But this is what it says. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Saviour and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true son in the faith, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. So those two verses are what we're going to look at this morning. And I want to start by telling you something that you probably already know. The church, and I don't just mean our fellowship, I mean the church as a whole, is overwhelmed with work there are more and more needy people crying out for attention each and every day there are Sunday schools and youth programs the world over that lack workers there are people who need visiting at home because they can't get to a church or they can't get to somewhere where they can be with others There are new believers the world over who need someone to befriend them, to come alongside them. There are even things like the church buildings, the facilities we have that need maintenance and improving and keeping up to date. And yet one of the lines you'll hear said by most people in most churches is this. If there's anything I can do to help, just let me know. true isn't it you hear it a lot if there's anything I can do to help just let me know 
And I suppose the reason I'm saying this, it's not, I'm not having a go at anyone, I'm not, I'm not putting a pressure on or, or, or being burdensome in any way, I hope. But what I want to say today is that God saves us and has saved us, those of us that belong to him. But he didn't save us so that we could sit on our bottoms and do nothing. He saved us so that we would serve. Just as there's no such thing as a part of your body that isn't there for a purpose, so your hand is for a purpose, your foot is for a purpose, your fingers, are for, your eyes, your nose, your mouth, your ears, everything in your body is there for a purpose. It's to serve a function within your body. So too every person within the church has a God-given function. Something that God wants them to do. If God has saved you from your sin, He has called you to serve Him in some way in accordance with the gifts and the abilities that He has given to you. And what often happens is when we hear this, and it's a truth, some people take a stab at getting involved. Doing something for God. But then not very far into the process, we can find ourselves a bit in over our head. Struggling. It's a bit too much for us. Where we had this utopian dream of serving in line with all the gifts and the abilities that God has given us. But something's come out of left field and it's caused us a bit of problem. We find ourselves overwhelmed with inadequacy. Our own strength fails us. Our own abilities let us down. And as we start to look at 1 Timothy, I want to suggest to you that Timothy probably found himself there in that exact place. Just a bit of background on Timothy. He had been a teenager in a home with a pagan father and a Jewish mother. He lived in the town of Lystra in what is today south-central Turkey. His mother and his grandmother taught him the scriptures. But he didn't know that Jesus was the promised Messiah until he heard the teaching of Paul and believed upon Jesus. You see, Timothy was someone who had believed when he had heard the teaching of Paul. Paul came into his town, Timothy heard him speak. And in the years that followed, Timothy grew in the Lord. He was highly regarded by the church for his work, for the gospel. And then the Apostle Paul comes through his town again. And this time he invites Timothy to join him in his work. An opportunity to travel and to serve with Paul, who had led Timothy to faith in Christ. And Timothy would probably have been in his early 20s, around about this time, and Paul nearer to 50. And for about the next 18 years, Timothy served with Paul as a devoted son would serve with his father. And I'm going to suggest to you that serving Jesus in any situation is not easy. 
But particularly serving Jesus with the Apostle Paul wasn't idyllic. Paul's early message of through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God proved all too true. Timothy likely often felt in far over his head. We know that he was timid and shy of character. We know that he wasn't inclined towards conflict. And yet he often found himself in the midst of controversy. He was inclined to back off rather than confront difficult people and difficult circumstances. And many times, he probably felt like quitting. You often hear people talk about the New Testament church, don't you? You you know, the, the, the church as it was just born, as if it were nearly perfect. But I don't know which Bible they're reading, because they're not reading the same one as me, I don't think. You see, the Bible I see shows that there were some serious problems in many New Testament churches. We know that Ephesus was a town rife with all kinds of problems, immorality, occult practices. And as often happens in such places, the church was being plagued by some false teachers. And Timothy's task is summed up in the next couple of verses that we haven't read yet, three and four. And Paul says to him, stay in Ephesus in order that you may instruct certain people not to teach strange doctrines. And on the surface, that sounds like a really easy job. Just go there and tell them what's right and tell them what's wrong and tell them to stop teaching what's wrong. But as you can imagine, people can be quite attached to their doctrines, strange or otherwise. In fact, people get emotionally attached to them. And when it's your job to confront doctrines, people take it personally. So do you get the picture that I'm painting here? Timid, shy, peace-loving, ordinary Timothy finds himself in a church where he's got to go and deal with people who are teaching the wrong things. It's his job to go and confront them. Something that's totally against and out of his character. He's been challenged by Paul to do something that only God can give him the power to do. And the message of 1 Timothy can be summed up with the command, guard the deposit of sound doctrine. And there are a number of things or themes that occur under this kind of heading. The theme of sound doctrine, and doctrine is just another word for teaching, that theme of sound doctrine or teaching occurs repeatedly throughout the book. Chapters 1, 3, 4, loads of verses, 5, 6. As well as the warning against turning aside to false teaching, that's another common theme. The theme of faith, or the faith, is a common theme. And also the practical outworking in people's lives of the faith is another major theme. So chapter one, really, all relates to this sound doctrine 
of the gospel and the gospel message. Chapters 2 and 3 talk about sound doctrine in church practice and church leadership. Chapter 4 talks about preserving pastors from apostasy, so turning away from Christ. And chapters 5 and 6 promote pastoral wisdom. So with that as an overview, I just want to concentrate on Paul's greeting this morning. And I want to remind us that God has saved us and signed us up into service so that we might bring forth true children in the faith. Verse 1, Paul identifies himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus according to the commandment of God our Saviour. At first glance, that might seem a really simple sentence. But that sentence shows us, first of all, that God saves us. And second of all, that he signs us up to do work. And then verse 2, in which Paul addresses Timothy as his true child in the faith, shows us that the goal of our service, the goal of our service to God, is to reproduce ourselves spiritually, as Paul has done with Timothy. Think about that. The goal of our service is to share our faith with others that they too might be part of that one same faith, just like Paul had done with Timothy. So let's look at verse 1. God has saved us and conscripted us or signed us into service. Paul uses an unusual phrase in this verse. And that unusual phrase is God, our Saviour. The description occurs six times in the pastoral epistles. And that just means it's only in 1 Timothy and Titus. And nowhere else does it occur in Paul's writings. The only other place you see it is in Jude. And it's with a similar expression, God my Saviour. In Luke chapter 1, in fact the word saviour, forget Luke chapter 1 for now, in the word saviour is only used 24 times in the New Testament. So it's really, it's a bit of an unusual phrase this one. You see the designation of God being a saviour is rooted in the Old Testament. But significantly, when you get to the New Testament, it's more about Jesus as being the designated Saviour. But think about what Paul says here. He says, God, our Saviour. What's he doing? He's linking the fact that Jesus, our Saviour, is also God, our Saviour. He's putting the two things together. He's saying that Jesus designated as the Saviour in the New Testament is the same as the God designated as the Saviour in the Old Testament. Jesus' very name means Yahweh saves. The angel came to Joseph 
and explained why he would be called Jesus. He would be called Jesus because he would save people from their sins, is what the angel said. And I want to suggest that one reason that Paul may have used this, God our Saviour, is because Paul existed around about the time of a Roman emperor, some of you will know, called Nero. And Nero had assumed the title for himself, Saviour of the World. And that's what Nero, the title Nero gave himself. But here Paul is countering that and he's saying, no Nero, you're not the saviour of the world. Only God, only Jesus is the saviour of the world. And that's a truth that constantly needs to be reaffirmed. Because if you think about it, we're, pride, we're proud, aren't we? We have pride. The human heart constantly claims or wants to claim that we are our own saviour, that we're good enough on our own. We think that we're worthy in our own efforts, our good deeds, or our strong will. And those things can save us, but they can't. The message of the cross is that Jesus Christ humbled himself to death upon the cross for our sake and that only he could do it only he is the savior 1 corinthians says that no flesh not mine not yours not anyone else's who's ever lived no flesh shall boast before god so we who believe we who belong to Jesus Christ, we need to proclaim clearly the message that people are lost and need a saviour. Not just that they're lost and they need a little bit of help or they need a little bit of getting better or a little bit of improvement, but that they are desperately lost and desperately in need of a saviour. Our message is not, you know, if your life lacks a little bit, if you feel a little bit, you know, not fulfilled, then give Jesus a try. That's not the message. The gospel message is this. Apart from Christ, you are lost. Perishing. Under God's judgment. You cannot save yourself. God does not save any who are worthy, because none are worthy. But in his grace, God does save unworthy sinners like me and you, who take refuge in Jesus and his shed blood on the cross. That's your only hope. That's the hope that Gabe prayed about earlier and then Paul spoke about afterwards. That is our hope. It's possible to be raised in the church, to be outwardly religious, to be zealous in what you believe to be serving God, but not to be saved. I want to encourage you this morning to make sure that God is truly your saviour. Make sure. Be certain of it. But then be certain that you've got a job to do as well. Because God, those that he saves, he puts into service. 
If God has saved you from the judgment that you deserved, then you're not on your own. You've been bought with a price. We say redeemed, don't we? Been redeemed by his blood. You're now under orders. Paul didn't dream up the idea of becoming an apostle. It wasn't his career objective. He didn't go to high school and meet with the careers advisor and say, you know what, you'd be, you'd be best suited for an apostle, Paul. That's not the way it worked. He didn't take a load of occupational or personality tests to determine what he was supposed to be. Paul was an apostle according to the commandment of God our Saviour. That means that for Paul and for us, those who are saved are conscripted, signed up. We're not volunteers. Sometimes you hear that, don't you? I'm a volunteer for Jesus. You're not. And anyone who tells you you are is, is not right. You're not a volunteer. You've been commanded. You've been redeemed. You've been signed up. You don't volunteer for Jesus' army. You've been drafted. The only question is, will we be faithful servants or unfaithful servants? The teaching of the Bible it's not that some Christians are called to serve God. You know, some, some are called to be pastors. Some are called to be evangelists, teachers. And then everyone else just gets to sit and listen and do nothing. That's not what scripture teaches. Every person God saves, he puts into service according to the gift that he has given to them. And if you want some scripture to back it up, you can go and find it in 1 Peter 4. Does that mean that your service in line with your gifts and abilities that God has given will always be easy or without struggle? No, not at all. In fact, the opposite. Scripture says you're going to struggle. Scripture says you're going to have times of trial which you're going to have to persevere through, but in his strength, not yours. Timothy was prone to discouragement. So Paul shows him from the outset that Christ himself, Jesus himself, is our hope in serving. What a great phrase that is. Our hope is not in a religion. Our hope is not in human beings. Our hope is not in the people sat around us. Our hope is not in a better world. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. Christ Jesus himself is our hope. And that hope, the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, is not an uncertain hope. It's not a fanciful wish for a better tomorrow. It's absolutely certain, but maybe not yet realised. It's certain because it rests upon him. 
Think about who he is. He is the resurrected Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the one under, who, who controls everything under heaven, everything on earth. He is the one who was there at the beginning and will be there at the end. That's who we have our hope in. Our hope believes in the reigning Christ. The Christ sat at the right hand of God the Father, interceding on our behalf daily. The Christ that's far above all rule and authority, it tells us in Ephesians chapter 1. Our hope is in a returning Christ. A Jesus that's coming back. He's given us his word that he will return bodily to rule the nations. We should be able to sit here this morning and say hallelujah. Because our saviour, we have such a hope in our saviour, we can serve him and know that the work that we do is not in vain. So what does Paul say the aim of our service is? So he tells us that God saves us and that God saves us for a purpose and that purpose is to serve him. But what's the purpose of that service? Well, Paul speaks to Timothy and says he's the true child. In the, he is his true child in the faith. The word true points to the genuineness of Timothy's conversion, attested by years of faithfulness in the Lord. Funnily enough, Paul said this morning, didn't he, about... Um, the Holy Spirit being able to come into a person's life and in a moment transform them. Do you remember that? The Holy Spirit can come into a person's life and in a moment transform them. And that's true. But it takes longer than a few minutes or even a few months to determine if a person's profession of faith in Christ is genuine. You see... And I don't say that based on my own opinion. Paul expresses concern for the Corinthians and the Galatians that they may have believed in vain. He said to the Galatians, My children, with whom I am again in labour until Christ is formed in you. You see, they had professed Christ, but Paul wasn't yet certain about the truth and whether they were true children or not. He was labouring, labouring to get him to that point where he did know, where he was certain. Paul urged the Corinthians, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves or do you not recognise this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test. Peter not Paul this time, but Peter says to his readers, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. John wrote his first epistle to give his readers a number of tests by which they could know that they had eternal life. 
It doesn't take long to read 1 John. I'm not going to do it now, but I would encourage you to go away and read it. Particularly 1 John 5. And that's what I'm talking about here. Timothy, as we said earlier, had grown up in a home with a godly mother, a godly grandmother, taught in the scriptures. He was led to salvation through faith in Christ. But he had not believed in Christ until salva- unto salvation until he heard Paul's preaching. Timothy's experience shows that we've got to teach people, particularly our children, the Scriptures, with a mind to their salvation. Not that we can save anyone or that we will see the fruits of that salvation instantly, because that's only our pride that wants that. But that God will save that we need to be true to serve him, obedient in sharing his message, and that he will do the work. You see, God may use you, or he may use what you teach, coupled with someone else's preaching, to bring your children, or whoever else you talk to, to faith in Christ. Again, I, you know, I didn't know what Paul was going to say this morning, but he's already spoken about Ian and how he'd known Ian for such a long time that obviously Ian had professed to be an atheist and then an agnostic and then in the blink of an eye at a meeting that probably wasn't planned, he's heard a preacher speak about Jesus and he's been changed, transformed. You don't know. You don't know those little nuggets of the gospel that you share with people. You do not know what will become of them. That's down to God. But he does give you the responsibility and the job of sharing his gospel with others. How can we know if we are true children of God? There's there's loads of sermons on this. You can troll the internet, you can get on YouTube, there's loads of sermons, but I'm going to just point out a few things. True children of God know the grace of God. To those that belong to Jesus, grace is the sweetest sound. Because it means that God has poured out his favour on someone that didn't deserve it. That's grace. You've got something you didn't deserve. True children also know the mercy of God. So we know his grace, but we also know his mercy. In his greetings, excuse me, Paul added this word, mercy. So in that verse 1, if you remember what it said, or you can see in front of you what it said, He uses the word mercy here. Sorry, it's verse 2, not verse 1. And he only uses this word mercy in 1 Timothy and in 2 Timothy. And in all Paul's other greetings, he doesn't use the word mercy. And while grace points to God's forgiveness to the guilty, to the sinner... Mercy points to his kindness 
to the miserable or the helpless. Mercy is when God withholds from us what we truly deserve. Grace is when He gives to us His favour that we don't deserve. And mercy is when He withholds from us what we do deserve. Every true child of God knows His grace and knows His mercy. We also know His peace. God's peace is more than just inner calm. God's peace is the overall well-being of a person who has been reconciled to God. Such a person who can cling on to God's peace in that way experiences God's blessings even in times of struggle and suffering and sorrow. We read, don't we, and we hear it said often, God's peace is a peace that passes all understanding. In the little story I told this morning about the people that I work with, they have a sense of God's peace in me. Just by what they're saying, they're expressing that they can see something in me that is not normal to the world because I don't fear death. I have a sense of peace. And that's not me. That isn't my strength. Because in my flesh, my flesh doesn't want to die. Like Paul said, my flesh doesn't want to suffer. So we know his grace. We know his mercy. And we know his peace. We also know him as our father. The Bible reveals God as the kind and caring father of his true children. Even if you had a harsh, unloving earthly father or no father at home you can come to know God as your true father in heaven true children of God know his grace we know his mercy we know his peace we know him as our father and fifthly we know him as Lord Christ Jesus is clearly both saviour and Lord if we are not yielding each day to Jesus as our Lord, then we ought to question ourselves. And it's not a nice place to be. It's hard, that, isn't it, to question yourself. Am I yielding day by day to Jesus as Lord? Sometimes we fail. Sometimes the answer to that question is no. But in his strength, we can do it. We can ask for his forgiveness. We can ask for him to help us to be better. Sadly, there's going to be many that say to him, Lord, Lord, we did many things in your name. And some people will hear the awful response, I never knew you. Depart from me. I don't want to hear those words. Saying that I've got a peace in God and that I don't fear anything, I fear those words. So true children of God, and this is what Paul is saying to Timothy, you are my son in the faith, my true son in the faith. 
We know the grace of God. We know the mercy of God. We know the peace of God. We understand God as our Father and we understand Christ Jesus as Lord and Saviour. I'm going to finish with this. Do you know God as your Saviour? If you do not, then I urge you Don't rest until you do. If you do know the Lord Jesus as your Saviour, then also know that he has saved you to serve, to do his bidding, and that the aim of that service is to bring glory to him. By you becoming his true child in the faith, And by your bringing others to become his true children in the faith. Just as Paul did with Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Saviour and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true son in the faith. Grace, mercy and peace from God the Father. And Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for its truth. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to speak to us through your words, that they would be real to us, Lord, that we would be obedient to what you're saying to us through it. Father, help us to understand your teachings. Not that we will understand the teachings of of me and men, Lord, but we would understand what it is that you want to say to us through your words. Father, I ask that you bless us and take care of us. Be with us this week until we meet again. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.